Hi, I'm Chloe Valtman and you're tuned in to Voicebox. By the gay circling glass, we can see how minutes pass. By the hollow cask of a toad, how the waiting part comes This week we're heading to 50 Mason Social House in San Francisco for a special broadcast version of Drinking Songs, A Night of Beer and the music that goes with it. Tonight's show is an edited version of the second in our series of special live events exploring the close ties between beer culture and song culture. Let's go to 50 Mason Social House now. To faction and end to wealth increase Come let us drink it while we have breath For there's no drinking after death And he who will his health deny Down the tenement, down the tenement Down, 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 down Down among the dead men let him lie Let charming beauty's health go round in wounds celestial joys are found and may confusion still pursue the senseless woman hating crew and they that woman's health deny down among the dead men down among the dead men down 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 among the dead men let him lie in smiling Bacchus, joys I'll roll, deny no pleasure to my soul. Let Bacchus' health round briskly move, for Bacchus is a friend to love, and he that will this health deny. Down among the dead and the dead and the dead and the down among the dead men let him lie. May love and wine their rights maintain, and their united pleasures reign. While back of his treasures crowns the board, will sing the joys that both afford. And he that won't with us comply, down among the dead, among the dead, among the dead, down among the dead, men let him lie. Tonight we're going to take you on a pan-Atlantic journey into the history and development of a particular style of beer, India Pale Ale, better known as IPA. Drinking songs helped to carry this type of beer from the UK, where it was invented, to the British Empire's far-flung colonies, where they took on a life of their own. It's a really fascinating story. We'll be stopping to taste a variety of IPA-inspired brews from Dogfish, perform drinking songs that go with them, and chat about what we're sipping and singing along the way. So I'd like to kick off by introducing the brilliant people standing up here with me. A warm welcome to Beer Cicerone, Sayer Pietrkowski, and the Philistines Men's Vocal Ensemble. Um, 
Sayer is a certified Cicerone. He's currently beer director at the St. Vincent Tavern and Wine Merchant in the Mission. And needless to say, he knows a great deal about beer and brewing culture. What's a beer Cicerone, Sayer? Uh, Cicerone is a certification within beer, much like sommelier is to wine. Um, there are, you, can be, you can be educated as a brewer, you can pass a test to be a certified beer judge, and then there are Cicerones, which is more on the kind of consumer level sort of set of expertise. It's a relatively new program. I was the 80th Cicerone uh, in the world. Today there are over 700. Um, and the, they're, the, there's sort of a hierarchy within the program. There are certified beer servers, Cicerones, and master Cicerones. There are now 10,000 certified beer servers. Um, so much like this sort of current uh, explosion around craft beer, there's kind of been an explosion of interest in the program and more and more people trying to get their, their level of beer expertise certified. Terrific. All right, I'd like to introduce the Philistines. Jesse Anton, Kevin Baum, David Curtenbach, Jim Monios, Justin Montine, and Daniel Pickens-Jones. These chaps are all singing pros whose credits include such renowned ensembles as Clear Story, Chanticleer, San Francisco Opera, the Philharmonia Baroque Chorale. Oh, and they all really like beer too. Um, so you guys all have very different types of voices uh, from very high to very low. Can you give us a quick rundown of who sings what and why? Sure, thank you, Chloe. Um, we've arranged ourselves here on stage standing roughly in the order of our voice type. So on your left, we have our bass, Jim. Um, but beside him, Daniel, is our bass baritone and the tenors in the middle. And to your right, myself and Justin, we sing a less common voice type called countertenor, which is where men use the upper part of their range to sing in this um, falsetto range. We can thus sing parts like soprano and alto. Um, it allows us to sing a wider repertory of pieces. It's a lot of fun. It's a little unusual, and we'll be doing that at times, not always, this evening. And as far as why we do all this, it's because singing and drinking is really fun. <laughs> all right, that, that song you just sang, Down Among the Dead Men by Rafe Vaughan Williams, isn't actually a creepy song about necrophilia, is it? What's it about? So the, you, you heard the references to Bacchus, the, the god of wine and debauchery, and, and those go without saying, but what you might not know is that dead men is an expression for the empty bottles of wine and what other brew was around. So should this guy uh, deny women's health and, and drinking and beauty and all these things, he was going to be put down on the floor among the dead men. So watch yourselves. <laughs> so we're going to have this toast. It's really more of a prayer than a toast, and I think it will be familiar to, to many of you. Okay, everyone, raise your glasses. Here we go. Our lager which art in barrels, hallowed be thy drink. Thy will be drunk, I will be drunk. At home as it is in the pub, give us this day our foamy head, and forgive us our spillages, as we forgive those who spill against us. And lead us not to the police station, but deliver us from hangovers. For thine is the bitter, the porter, and the lager, forever and ever. Hey! 
song is well sung, I make you a vow, and he is a knave that drinketh now. To wit, to whom, to whom drinks thou, a knave to thou. This song is well sung, I make you a vow, and he is a knave that drinketh now. Knows, 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 and who gave me this jolly red nose? Cinnamon and ginger, not mix and clothes, that gave me my jolly red nose. Knows, 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 and who gave me that jolly red nose? Cinnamon and ginger, not mix and clothes, and that gave me my jolly red nose. This song is well sung, I make you a vow, and he is a knave that drinketh now. Wonderful, thanks lads. The Philistines, ladies and gentlemen, with Of All the Birds by Thomas Ravenscroft. Sayer, of all the beers we're talking about, India Pale Ales tonight, what is an IPA and what distinguishes it from uh, other kinds of beer? IPA is the most hop-prominent style of beer. Um, it is the style that sort of features hop character more than any other style. So there's a number of ways to impart that to a beer. Um, and that's sort of Dogfish Head's genius, is kind of finding new and innovative ways to contribute more interesting and nuanced hop characteristics to a beer. Hops are to beer what sort of salt, pepper, spices, and herbs are to food. It can be a preservative, it can be a flavor enhancer, and it's very prominently in IPA as an aromatizer. Um, and the later you use a hop in the brewing process, the more aroma it will contribute. So all the beers that we're going to encounter today are extremely aromatic. Um, towards the end, we'll start to run into some beers with some real kind of malt character and some heft to them. But early on, it's going to be things that are very much dominated by hops and are going to have kind of very lively tropical fruit, marijuana, um, pine, forest floor, all these sort of aromas that are, that are associated with hops. Um, and they'll be sort of leaping out of the glass as a result of the various ways that Dogfish Head imparts hops to their beer. All right, singers, the song that you just sang just now has a very pretty title of all the birds, but it's not really got much to do with our feathered friends, has it? What's the song about? Well, you probably heard all those references to the jolly red nose and the spices that were mulled in these beverages that, that added to the heat that produced that flush. This is a song by Thomas Ravenscroft from the Renaissance, and there are dozens and, do well, probably hundreds and thousands of these drinking songs that were just songs describing everyday life, and they were meant to be sung in situations exactly like this, or in a casual situation accompanying daily life, since there was no iPad or television or whatever to watch, the singing was the entertainment and it was just for fun. So you can't read too much into all that pretty stuff at the beginning. It's getting to the point, which is the red nose. Why did you pick this song to go with the Dogfish Head 60-minute IPA that we've been tasting? Just because that's the quintessential IPA, the basic 60, and so we wanted a very basic English drinking song that was sort of the foundation of many of the things that you'll hear branching out in the next hour. Sayer, what can you tell us about the early roots of, uh, of this type of beer in England? How were IPAs typically brewed back when they were created in the 18th century, right, more or less? Or? Yeah, the first beers that um, kind of are at the root of what IPA has become today were probably brewed in the 1700s. 
um, in London at a brewery called Hogston's Bow. Um, there is sort of a very beautiful and uh, convenient beer myth or a bit of beer lore that IPA was the style brewed specifically for export to India because of hops preservative properties. Not really substantiated by fact, um, but is kind of a useful thing when you conceive of IPA and why somebody would want to put a ton of hops into already fermented or conditioning beer. Um, but uh, everything we're drinking is much more tied to a city called Burton-on-Trent, where sort of the roots of what this beer tastes like are much more suited. And, and Burton-on-Trent um, had a very specific sort of water uh, that lended itself towards very bitter um, and sort of brilliantly clear beer. How close is the 60-minute IPA to, to a traditional IPA from Burton-on-Trent or wherever? Uh, if I'm being honest, not at all. So uh, IPA underwent this sort of reinvention uh, with a beer called Liberty Ale from Anchor. Um, there you go, San Francisco. Um, and, and, and sort of a few other contemporary products that came out in the very first wave of the American craft beer renaissance in the 70s and 80s. Um, and that's, to me, much more what inspires this beer. The hop varietals used here are grown, um, or are native to the kind of west coast of the United States, the Yakima Valley, the Willamette Valley, the Cascade um, Mountain area in Oregon and Washington. And those produce the hops that contribute the sort of grapefruity um, aromas that are we now consider IPA. The English IPA is something that's a lot more kind of like lemon peel and earthy and uh, can have a fair more malt character than what we think of as IPA today. So other than IPAs, what were the Brits drinking back, back then, back in the 1700s? Almost entirely porter. Um, the... the uh, there, in fact, was there were porter breweries and other breweries in early English brewing, primarily around London. Uh, much like the water in Burton-on-Trent lends itself towards pale ale, the water in London uh, lends itself towards darker beers. And also, um, when you would sort of kiln your malt, it would impart color and make your beer dark. So porter brewing was far more um, rampant, and porters were far more popular than pale ales in sort of early English beer culture. So I want you all to imagine for a moment that you're a sailor on a British boat carrying cargo, tobacco, cocoa, slaves, to points west and east. The journeys are exceedingly long, fraught with danger and full of toil. It's thirsty work, in other words. There's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And even if it were potable, you wouldn't want it, because what you really want is beer. And more often than not, the kind of beer on board of those ships was an IPA. There's a well-known story about how IPAs became popular on ships and spread from the UK to the colonies to do with the idea that they were brewed to withstand these long voyages. But it turns out that this is a bit of a myth, right, Sam? I mean, basically, the beer that ended up in the best condition in India sold best in India, so it was more of a, it, was, it wasn't a, a particular innervation of a brewery to contrive a beer that would work for India. It was more like, man, the, the settlers in India and the colonizers and the soldiers in India keep buying up our pale ale. We better put more of that on the boat. The other thing that I didn't mention was that England had very little to offer India in terms of goods, whereas India had spices and teas and all these things that were being consumed by the English. So the boats headed towards India 
were far more empty and the boats coming back were full. So that was a big part of, it was, it was fairly cheap to send a captain with, with beer because he was going to roll down there with an empty boat. So that was another kind of thing that pulled English brewing uh, onto the seas. Tell us about the 90-minute IPA that we're tasting. What distinguishes it from the 60-minute? Is there anyone here who's never had a 90-minute IPA before? Wow. So this beer is a complete game-changer in the history of American craft beer. Um, when this beer came out in the early 2000s, it was an obnoxiously high alcohol content for an IPA. This beer is 9% in alcohol at a time. You know, the Anchor Liberty that I mentioned earlier is in the 5% range. Lagunitas IPA, which was sort of the standard bear for the style on the West Coast at the time, in the 5% range. This is nearly double that alcohol content. Um, and it is also completely unique in that it is the first beer brewed with the process that has kind of made Dogfish Head unique, which is this process of continuously hopping what's called wort, which is the way that brewers refer to unfermented beer. Um, and so Sam Calagione, the sort of founder and initial brewer and genius behind Dogfish Head, employed one of those old vibrating faux football games that people would have in their houses to constantly shake hops into boiling wort. And rather than, traditionally when you brew, you add hops early for bittering, in the middle for flavor, and at the end for aroma. Dogfish Head IPAs are hopped continuously throughout their boil. So that, hence the 60, 90, and as we'll see later, 75 minute terminology it refers to the length of the boil and the length at which the beer is continuously fed hops. Um, so this happened back when Dogfish Head, which is now one of the largest breweries in the country, was a meager little brew pub basically operating on a homebrew system. And he contrived this way to impart far more hop character to his beer than anybody had. And so this beer became a hugely sought after sort of, I, I was running a bar in Santa Cruz at the time and we would go and gray market this beer from a pub in Oregon just so we could offer it to our customers. All right, so what we essentially have here is a case of a ballsy American brewer, Dogfish Head Sam Calagione, taking an old English style and making it bigger, which kind of reflects the uh, relationship between English and American culture in the broader sense when you think about it. Which brings us to our next song. Like the IPA, the drinking song To Anacreon in Heaven by John Stafford Smith also made a journey across the pond from the UK to the US. Tell us about this song, guys. The Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem as we know it, uh, was in the form that we know it, written by Francis Scott Key. And we know the story of him being in the boat as the bombs are going off and being inspired by this text to write this tune, but what we don't know is that this tune existed long before in a British social club, a men's social club in London, and it was the Anacreontic um, hymn for that club. Anacreon, Sons of Anacreon were the members of this club. So we're going to need your help for this one. Make sure that you uh, listen closely to what's happening. This is all of us together, right? This is everybody. So, so right hands over your hearts. No, I'm kidding.
maybe the, the British were a little bit pissed off about this this tune being repurposed uh, as the American. Oh, do you think the Americans get upset that their national anthem used to? Sorry, our national anthem. <laughs> You're to, one of us now. I'm one of you now. Uh, but, but, but do you think that Americans get upset that our national anthem was once a British drinking song? Do people even know? Are, are, are you, you guys upset? aware of that fact? <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> are you upset? No. All right then. <laughs> okay. All right. So our IPA journey has taken us from England to the United States, and we're going to explore some of the things that happened to that beer style once it reached these shores. We had 60-minute IPA, then 90-minute IPA, and now our volunteers are bringing around samples of the Dogfish Head 75-minute IPA. Saya, can you tell us a bit about what's special about this brew? You're all hella lucky to be drinking this beer right now. This, so as 90-minute IPA used to be sort of a white whale in, in craft beer, um, Every once in a while, you'd hear about a pub with a cask of 75-minute IPA. And it's exactly what it sounds like. 75-minute IPA was a blend of 60 and 90, but it was then cask-conditioned as English beer would have historically been, meaning that it went through a secondary fermentation in the vessel that you're consuming from. So what Dogfish Head has done to try to approximate that with what you're drinking now is prime each bottle of 70-minute IPA with a bit of maple syrup. <laughs> And that catalyzes another fermentation. And the important thing about that is it provides a very different sort of carbonation. When you force carbonate a beer, it's like Coca-Cola. It's, it's a prickly sort of feel to the carbonation. Naturally occurring carbonation tends to be much more lush and soft and subtle and kind of not get in the way of your actual tasting of the beer. So this is the first two beers we had um, blended and then carbonated in a very different way. Thanks, so. So you guys have chosen a song to pair with this beer that pays respect to the fact that maple syrup is part of the recipe. Tell us about wh what, you know, what we're going to hear next. This song is my fault, so I should introduce it. Um, when I heard the maple syrup thing, I thought, really? Uh, that's that's going to be hard to find a song for. It turns out it's not hard at all. Um, the Northeast United States and much of Canada is known for maple syrup, especially Vermont maple syrup, right? So I started Googling, and it turns out that there was this tradition among maple syrup producers back when they did it themselves and actually tapped the tree themselves to wait until all the good, the good sap was out. And then with the dregs that was like the last drippings from the tap of the tree... They would put it in a pan and they would start to boil it and they would add some hops and they would add some yeast and they would have, add whatever basically they could to that sugar to get it to ferment and then they called it sap beer. And this song doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of it, but you know, maybe it was more delicious than we, than we think. This is certainly delicious. Um, so the folk singer who arranged this originally is John Castle. And uh, he's kind of got this weird and storied past in Vermont history, but he basically sings at the Fontrap Family Inn in wherever Vermont and is a, you know, show tune guy who sings The Sound of Music. But back in the 70s, he wrote a song called Sap Beer, and so this is it. All right, let's hear Sap Beer with the Philistines. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Old man with the sugar in brewing, what can you be looking for here? Well, son, we're gonna start brewing sap beer. Ain't nowhere to travel and but kind. Stay home, bet you're making good beer. Men fences and wait till springtime is here. So get a barrel, take the last run from the pan. Get you some yeast and get it working if you can. And when it's ready, if you think yourself a man, just try it out. So get a barrel, take the last run from the pan. Get you some yeast and get it working if you can. And when it's ready, if you think yourself a man, just try it out. <laughs> Old man in the dirt. Boy, yeah, you'll be glad that it's here. Just sitting and sipping the springtime sap beer. Well, I'm old, but I never stop seeing. There's them that can say, I've been here. Them ladies remembering me in sap beer. You don't stop dreaming, even if you're on the run. Now, what they see in are all them troubles when they're done. Just keep on seeing what you saw when you begun and see it straight. Why waste what you got to get high with? Make time while the making is here. Go get your lady and fly with Sapphire, 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 We're ready for a little more audience participation, are you? Good, we've just sung you around by the great English composer Henry Purcell, and now it's time for you to learn it. And our own Kevin Baum is going to rehearse it with you so that you can kick off another drinking song with us here. So it falls to me to teach you guys an, a round. You just heard it. I'm going to sing it for you again. I'll sing it in sections, and then we're going to divide into sections and sing it as a round. Are you ready? So I'll sing the whole thing for, through the first time. It goes... He that would an alehouse keep must have three things in store. A chamber and a feather bed, a chimney and a... Hey, nanny, nanny, hey, nanny, nanny, hey, nanny, no, hey, nanny, no, nanny, nanny, no. He that would an alehouse keep must have three things in store. A chamber and a feather bed must have three things in store. Give yourself a hand. Good job. Fantastic. Well done, everyone. How is everyone doing? 
Now, good. A big hand for the Philistines. You just regaled us with that lusty drinking song. And big hand for yourselves, too. So he that will on El House Keep, Thomas Ravenscroft. All right, we're going to return to the world of IPAs now. We have three more beers to try and a bunch of songs to sing. This beer, 61, tell us about that beer, which is hopefully coming around, making, making its way around to all of our guests right now. So if you are able to remember back to the first beer you tasted, 60-minute IPA. 61 is 60-minute IPA with one very apparent extra ingredient. Um, so this has California Syrah grape must um, added at the very beginning of fermentation. Um, and you can see that it obviously has a pretty drastic effect on the beer's appearance and the beer's flavor. Um, but that's, that's 61. So here we have a case of an American brewery mixing together a British beer making tradition with sort of a French wine making tradition. Are British brewers of IPAs as experimental as American ones? Absolutely not. Um, with very few exceptions, a, little, a small nod to new contemporary brewers in Italy and Scandinavia, no one is remotely close to as innovative as American brewers in, in craft beer today. Um, and, uh, you know, Sam and, and the rest of the team at Dogfish Head have kind of always been at the forefront of that. But this sort of brewer as MacGyver, brewer as a tinkerer, brewer as an, as an experimental position is um, pretty unique to the contemporary craft beer explosion, which is forefronted by the U.S. Um, all over the world. All right, a bit of a daft question. Um, are India pale ales actually popular in India? Do, the, do people in India do anything with pale ale? Uh, they are not brewed there, but their name comes from their initial popularity there. Um, as I said a long time ago, if anyone remembers, porter was the dominant beer style at home in England. It was significantly hotter in India than in England. And so the, there became a taste for a drier, more refreshing, paler in color concoction than the kind of dark, rich, thick ale that was drank back at home. So we have this little bit of a French twist to this beer. Are IPAs popular in France at all? No. <laughs> So the next song we're going to hear, which is paired with this beer, is called Down With Bacchus. It's another round by uh, the British composer Henry Purcell. Um, the song that you just sang, guys, He That Will An Alehouse Keep, the fact that we all sang, and the song that you're about to sing, Down With Bacchus, are both rounds. Can you just explain to us what exactly is a round and why in particular is this musical form suitable for a drinking song? Uh, a round is basically a melody that also contains its own harmony. So, um, you know, there, you have one person starting, and then the next person comes in, and then you've already started to have some kind of harmony built into it. Um, what was the second part of your question? Uh, there wasn't. Why are they suitable, oh. Oh, why are they suitable for drinking? Well, they're easy. That's, a, that's why, because you can, you can learn them very quickly, and they go on and on and on until everybody just falls down. So... So Henry Purcell loved to write drinking songs, didn't he? Though he isn't chiefly remembered today for this stuff, but rather more for the serious fare, like the dramatic opera Dido and Aeneas and his odes to Queen Elizabeth I. What do we learn about the composer from delving into his drinking songs repertoire? Uh, I think that he liked to drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a lot of famous composers have written drinking songs, such as Purcell, Rayford Williams and Francis Poulenc. Uh, what attracts composers to this kind of repertoire? Uh, perhaps we know the answer to this question already. 
Well, again, drinking. Uh, but I think also there's a sense of community with, with drinking songs and, and, you know, having all of this music happening. Music and, and liquor and beer and all that kind of stuff goes together so well. So. Well, the hops and the grapes go hand in hand in the 61 that we're tasting. But this happy blend doesn't really jibe with how the English and French have gotten on historically. Uh, the French are in direct competition with the English in terms of the race to become a world power through colonization, opening trade routes, and buying and selling slaves. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about how the song we're about to hear relates to the beer that we've been tasting? Well, I think, I think this song, you know, we're dealing with two very patriotic countries, right, that have uh, a little bit of animosity across the channel, um, and they've always kind of looked down at each other over their own noses. Um, and this next song is around that uh, basically tells a story from the drinking or from the English point of view, which is uh, that beer will eventually conquer wine or conquer France. So England over France. So that's what you'll hear in the next song. All right, let's hear down with Bacchus now. Down, down with Bacchus, down, down with Bacchus, from this hour renounce, renounce the grapes tyrannic power. Whilst in our large, our large confederate bore, and mingling virtue, mingling virtue, cheer the soul. Down with the French, down with the French, march on to dance the bulls, for bulls here sake will conquer France. And when, when the inspiring cops were high, their hungry, hungry juice, please, Lord, we scorn defy. Rouse, 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 royal boys, your forces join to rout, to rout the monsoon and his wine. Then, 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 then the next year our bowl shall be quaffed, quaffed under the vines in Burgundy. Down, down with Bacchus, down, down with Bacchus, from this hour renounce, renounce the grapes tyrannic power. Was in a large, a large confederate war, and mingling virtue, mingling virtue, cheer the soul. Down, down the fascist, down, down the fascist, must fall to now renounce, renounce the grapes tyrannic powers. And when our land is large, compares before, and mingling our dreams, mingling virtue, cheer the soul. Down, down the fascists, down, down the fascists, much promise is all we know, we know the greatest in life is ours. And when our land is fighting, curse before, and mingling our dreams, mingling Backers. Okay, now for our fifth beer of the evening, Indian Brown Ale. So, Saya, this is the first beer we're drinking tonight that doesn't have a number for a name. Why? Uh, the reason that this is the first beer we're drinking tonight that does not have a number in its name is that this is the first beer we're drinking tonight that does not stem from the 90-minute IPA tree. Um, 
It actually predates 90-Minute IPA. This is the first hoppy beer that Dogfish Head ever brewed back in their little brew pub. Um, it goes back to the mid-90s, um, and it is the only beer we're going to drink tonight that's hopped traditionally with a, hopping, with a bittering addition and an aroma addition, and that's it, rather than being continuously hopped. Um, the other thing that sets India Brown Ale apart, Indian Brown Ale apart from uh, all the IPAs that we're tasting um, is that it has a far more complicated grist. Grist being the term um, that you use to refer to the composition of fermentable stuff that you use to make your beer. So this beer has coffee, this beer has maize, hence the Indian rather than India in its name, um, and all manner of uh, different malts, brown malts, amber malts, and character malts that supply kind of a much more complex sweet palate to this beer than anything we've tasted yet. Uh, all the beers previously had fairly simple um, grists, whereas this has got all kinds of things going on on the fermentable side. It's going to taste like chocolate, it's going to taste like caramel, um, and that sort of coffee flavor is going to linger. There is still a very, very big hop component to this beer, but this is the beer that's going to drink a lot less like the contemporary IPA where the hops are featured most prominently. In this beer, definitely the sort of malt backbone of the beer is featured more prominently. Fantastic. So, singers, we've got a song coming up that I think everyone in this room will know. Drunken Sailor is the quintessential salty sea dog shanty. A lot of uh, drinking songs are sea shanties. Why is that? That's the way that people traveled around the world at that time. And, and you know, when we chose this song, we were thinking about that journey that that the beer would have made to India, but then it might have gone down to South America, it might have gone to North America, and back to Britain. There was all this triangulation of trade going on. And in all of those long voyages, the only thing that kept them sane, you know, the fruit ran out that kept them continent long before the beer ran out that kept them sane. And so the sailors were the ones who were carrying on this drinking tradition, we like to think. So what makes this song the perfect pairing for the Indian brown ale? It's rowdy, it's uh, classic, it's uh, got that sort of crusty underbelly that is uh, from the sailing, but also kind of the traditional, not American style IPA. Okay, everyone, we're five beers in, and I feel that we're starting to get just a little bit tipsy. And I think this song reflects the prevailing mood in the room. Um, it's a pretty imaginative arrangement by a guy called Robert Sund. Um, and, and it also, this song I feel is right for audience participation. Because after all, it's one that I think we all know. Wow. So do you guys, do you have any sort of pointers about how we're going to do this with the audience participation? Are we going to have everyone join in at the end for one verse? Or? Don't be shy. Every time you hear that drunken sailor song, sing along. All right, here we go. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? 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 We're in the morning. Hooray and up she rises. Hooray and up she rises.
she rises, hooray, and up she rises, and I in the down here. Thanks everyone for your beautiful voices and thanks to the wonderful Philistines for leading us in that awesome song. And a big hand for Saya here with his amazing knowledge about beer. Thanks Saya. So there's a lot of alcohol uh, in this our final brew of the evening, Burton Batten, and a lot of history. Saya, can you tell us about the roots of this IPA please? Absolutely. So Burton Batten uh, harkens back to a early northeastern American brewery called Ballantine. Is anyone in here from the East Coast or old enough to remember Ballantine? So I've never had Ballantine ale because I was born out here and I'm only 32. But um, I was shocked when I was reading about it to learn that it was an IPA. The original Ballantine ale that was very popular along the East Coast was an IPA, a brewed-to-style English IPA, um, which would have, by all accounts, been titanically more bitter than any other beer available to Americans back then in a world of American light lager. So it's pretty incredible to me that that brewery thrived. That brewery was so traditional that they brewed what's called a Burton Ale. You may remember earlier when we were talking about the important cities for, for beer, Burton-on-Trent is kind of seminal in the English bitter and IPA styles of beer. The big beer for keeping, the stock ale in Burton, came to be known as a Burton Ale, which is about 10% alcohol, dark amber in color, thick, and you would age it for a long time, and you would often, and this is what's important for this beer, you would often then blend it with lower alcohol, drier beers to taste. Um, legend has it that Ballantine kept a Burton for VIPs only. 
They never sold this product, but they would always brew it, and it would be on hand. And if you visited the brewery, you could taste the Burton Ale. Um, so this is Sam's tribute to that seminal East Coast brewery. This is a blend of an oak-aged, big, over-the-top, heavy, thick Burton Ale, and again, the 90-minute IPA. So it's, it's literally, the, the term is two threads. You would brew two completely finished beers and then blend them. Um, and so that's what you have here. You have a big oak-aged, thicker, sweeter product blended with the 90-minute IPA that we already tasted as an homage to the Ballantine Brewery, which I believe was in upstate New York in like the 40s. We're tasting so many different riffs on the IPA idea this evening, and that's just from one brewery, Sayer. Um, so many beer companies in this country and elsewhere brew IPAs. Do you think that there's still room for innovation, or have we reached saturation point in terms of how many different things you can do with an IPA? Well, and I think as this has demonstrated, part of that is that we're, we're drastically expanding the definition of what IPA is. If we are going to be sort of strict about our style definitions, there's aspects of a lot of these beers that fall out of the IPA style. That said, I think the answer to your question is yes. Um, IPA is the fastest growing beer style in the world. Um, people in these kind of more traditional brewing countries like England and Bavaria and um, Belgium even, are finding ways to make much hoppier beers because they've tasted the things that have been brewed by people like Dogfish and Russian River and Sierra Nevada and Stone and all of our breweries. They're kind of exporting this style back to Europe and, and elsewhere. Um, I think the new kind of terrain for innovation in this beer style, um, which some of you might, feeling, might be feeling is quite necessary now, is to find a way to make lower alcohol IPAs again. Um, at, at where I work at St. Vincent, we featured like some 3% alcohol IPAs, which again is out of the style at the bottom level. <laughs> this is not going to replace high alcohol IPA. It's going to simply complement and give you the option. But I do think that's where you see the innovation now. And that's actually rather a hard thing to do because when a beer is low alcohol, it does not have a lot of sweetness to sort of buffet the bitterness of an IPA. So it's, it's kind of a, a crafty thing to do, and you see a lot of breweries experimenting with, you know, hoppy session beers, as they're being called now. All right, so um, I think this beer provides a fitting climax for tonight's event, because it perfectly fuses the old English brewing tradition with the newer American one. Um, so how does the song you've chosen to pair with this beer illustrate the fusion of these cultures. So in keeping with that, bringing everything back to the pairing of a new style with a very old, basic, uh, the, the original Burton-on-Trent idea, we wanted to find a really old British song. So this is the earliest song you will have sung, and it'll sound a little bit uh, crunchy, I'll say. And it's because it's from about 1500 or around there. So. We're going back several hundred years in time to long before these beers were even brewed, back when it was ale, and it was really the beginning of the tradition. Sing right. along if you know this. Okay, this song is this song's called Tapster Drinker, and it's by Anonymous. Tapster Drinker, fill another ale. Anon, have I do, God send us good
Philistines with a very, very old English drinking song, Taps to Drinker. We've just got one more song to go this evening and it represents the newest strand that's present in Burton Batten. But before we get to that, I'd like to take a quick survey. I'm curious to hear which of the beers that you tasted this evening you like best. So you can vote by cheering and raising your glasses. Who especially liked the 60-minute IPA? All right, 90-minute. 75. 61 with a great must. Indian brown ale. It's quite popular. And, and Burton Batten. Whoa. Okay, I think probably it's between the 90 minute and the Burton Batten. So, which is your favorite? I'd probably say the 75 minute was the coolest thing for me. All right. So I'm going to hand things over to the Phils now for the last official song on our program. A huge thank you to all of my collaborators and to all of you for coming out tonight to 50 Mason Social House and being such a rollicking audience. Let's do it again soon. And uh, with that, um, do you wanna, guys, do you want to just uh, tell us uh, what our last song is? This is the Wassail song by uh, composer Rayfon Williams from England, of course, where the IPA got started. Join in whenever you hear the tune, which will become familiar before long. Thanks to Chloe, thanks to Sayer, thanks for 50 Mason Social House, thanks to Dogfish Head, and thanks to all of you. Yeah. <laughs>